Hi, welcome to episode two of Garris Cast. This is Chris Abraham. And I'm Dan Kruger. Welcome to episode two. Uh, in the after conversation that Dan and I had, and let me, exp- uh, Dan and I talked about how maybe we didn't discuss baseline what influencers are, who influencers are, and what influencer marketing is and probably what the future of internet marketing uh, and influencer marketing is. So I'm Chris, and I am the co-founder with Dan Kruger. My name's Chris Abraham of Garris Corp. And we've been in the business through different companies, but together on and off since uh, 2007, which is um, 12 years and has been an amazing exploration into the deep history of what we call now influencer marketing. Um, In the day, all there really was was bloggers. And um, by 2007, uh, there were were people on Facebook, but it was really only a private thing um, shared between friends. There were no pages or influencers. There had been Friendster and MySpace. Um, some minor celebrities came out of there, and some musical, uh, some musical people like Bieber came out of that, didn't he, Dan? I think so, yeah. Or did he come out of YouTube? At that time, YouTube started to become a thing. I don't know what year Bieber became hot, but he was prospected right off. And I think that Bieber, um, Justin Bieber, was sort of the ground zero of when influencers started to come. People were cutting corner cutting they were cutting through uh the old world of doing um cattle calls and having auditions and people were going to see how people were writing what people were doing how people were being creative and singing and playing the guitar and so forth on platforms such as youtube which was born in 2004 2005 when did you become aware of um of people becoming baby famous or famous uh, online only, Dan. So uh, I'll just give you an example. There's a there's a YouTube prankster um, sort of his name's Ed Bassmaster, and I actually went to elementary school with him, middle school and high school. We kind of grew up together. We went to different schools uh, at one point, and then we sort of he moved and came back to my school. He was always really, really funny. He would always sort of make faces behind the teacher to get class to laugh, that sort of thing. And about, I guess, probably eight years ago, like we had reconnected on Facebook and chatting and he had made these really funny videos. And he um, ended up, I I actually gave him some advice with, you know, you should start a YouTube channel and, and all of this. And he created a YouTube channel that is now, uh, he gets millions of views on his YouTube videos because they're hilarious. He has all these different characters that he, he dresses up as and he goes, he just does weird and crazy things. And um, he, he, get, he, he, he even had a, uh, a, a television show on CMT for I think just a few episodes before it was canceled. He's, he's better on YouTube than on TV. He gets those, that instant views rather than having to produce something so uh, you know, more old, old fashioned, if you will. But, um, but he's a, a, a comedic influencer on YouTube. 
he has you know a Snapchat channel. He also has an Instagram channel or an Instagram account that he constantly posts updates on and, and live videos and, and sort of Instagram stories and Snapchat stories, Facebook stories. He's all over the place, but he's he gets instantly millions of, of views. So he gets paid through YouTube. He sells merchandise with his different characters on it. So he's a, he's a comedy influencer. And that's I think that was probably a good example of someone that you could, uh, you know, it's tough to tap those giant A-list stars to do, to do things for clients unless they're being paid for it. Or unless they went to school together from, uh, from, from baby <laughs> times, probably. True. I don't know why he doesn't have a... Uh, a security dongle and a bag of uh, of, of um, plant-based protein, <clears throat> but I totally agree. And and that was always the promise of the internet, right? Like it would it would allow people who are uh, living rural, living in some place besides Los Angeles, New York, um, Hollywood, uh, to find to be discovered. And that sense of discovery has become. You know, your buddy was uh, an overnight success after working hard for 10 years, right? I mean, it's not like something that just uh, fell into his lap. Like, it seems like a lot of the people that I see that have been really become successful and can buy their girlfriend's uh, um, uh, German Mercedes-Benz Galandewagen uh, AMG supercars, um, it comes from many years of being part of that community. I mean, there are certainly overnight successes, but um, but what influencer marketing it starts first people to pop over the over the horizon um, were were the bloggers, political bloggers, and I really think the first time any any real influencers were being being monetized outside of of uh, of YouTube were uh, the mommy blogs, or at least they're the, they were the first ones to take it uh, as seriously as a heart attack. I think the mommy blogs are the ones, they're that the, the coveted demographic by every business because they can influence, because they have that the power to influence other mommies and, and daddies and everyone, you know? And, and the checkbook. Exactly. And and I think you know if you if you think about uh, if you think about things such as simple as simple as when mothers generally become mothers like it's that coveted you know twenty three uh, to to forty three year old window of having babies um, and then and then you have uh, and then you have that baby in some form form of another uh, for another you know ten fifteen. 18, 20 years of influence. So um, if you can get someone to cotton to your brand, yeah, not only do they uh, influence uh, the people uh, in their community, like fellow moms and, and real moms in their community, people they go to um, mom yoga, uh, mommy boot camp, um, daycare centers, and so forth, they influence them by being walking billboards. But they also influence, like you said, their, their, their spouse um, and then they brand they brand their children on on the brands that they use in the home, which uh, you know affects a different uh, a different generation, I think. And all the people that they influence that read their blog, or you know, if we're talking mommy bloggers specifically, and but, those are the uh, people that we those are the people that we care the most about. Is uh, exactly. is that that primary effect, which which is people online looking for. Uh, ways to navigate how to be a mom, you know, because 
every mom I've talked to feels like she has imposter syndrome, right? Feels like she's the one who's going to really F this up. Um, and so there's a lot of desire to say, well, I don't think it's only trendy. I, I don't think it's only like, what is the most trendy? Uh, I mean, I'm not a parent, but uh, I, as a child of my mom, I still kind of covet those brands of the kind of products and foods and snacks and so forth that, that my mom used growing up. Uh, so there's a lot of influence there. In addition, I mean, we see influencers all the time who now the, the verticals have become uh, as broad as anything you can think of. I teach a class in influencer marketing. And before I was, before Dan and I did influencer marketing, we both had our own first careers. His was in uh, uh, video and, and, and television and movie production. And mine was in technology. And in, I was one of the early internet people um, uh, from, you know, 1993 on I wasn't one of the super early people who were there in the 70s but I definitely had a uh, BBS account in in the 80s but when I really got online in the in in 2000 in 1993 uh, the the internet came up with with its own memes and its own definitions and uh, it started out as a world of programmers and perverts right the internet was driven by pornography uh, every all technology is driven by technology, videotapes, video, streaming video, all that stuff. And there was this uh, Internet law 34 called if it exists, there is porn of it. <laughs> and after everybody stops blushing in the class that I teach, um, I go on to say, well, that means in terms of interests, any vertical you can think of, you know, from. Uh, carnivore diet or keto or, or running or collecting uh, mid mid 90s um, Nike basketball shoes to anything um, there are huge communities of it you can see that on reddit all the time and uh, as a result the mommy blogs were just I guess known for their for their ability to breed but as that came about there became specializations I mean, Dan is a uh, CrossFit influencer and a, um, a health influencer. I, I have influence in social media. Um, so anything that you can dream of, uh, you can you can you can find. Um, like I said, if uh, if if um, internet um, internet internet marketing and internet uh, influencer marketing law thirty four is uh, if it exists, there's an influencer, and not just one. There's a whole influencer community. I mean, Dan and I have never hit a brick wall of not finding at least a thousand people who are interested in the particular thing that we're promoting. The only wall we've ever had is a client trying to promote a junk message or a junk item or a junk product and like telling us, well, make them like it, make them say nice things about it. And those are generally people who are, who are less interested in the promotional aspect of influencer marketing and more interested in just the baseline Google juice and uh, SEO influence of it. So what we do for clients is basically we identify the influencers in a specific segment or demographic. And then we like mommy bloggers, like fitness bloggers, sports bloggers, yoga bloggers, or influencers, if you will. Influ uh, I say bloggers because I'm so used to, that's where we started, like Chris said. But um, we identify them. We build a 
a list that we're going to be targeting and reaching out to on behalf of the client. And then um, we, we tap these influencers with either gifts or information, and we ask them to, to share this information or, or, or what they think of this particular gift with, their, with, their, with, their, with the people that follow them. <clears throat> and yeah, and, and I always used to make this comparison when we had pitches uh, 10 years ago um, because there wasn't an influencer marketing industry 10 years ago, but I always used to make the, um, I can still make the same argument now, which is, um, yes, when you hit an influencer who has access on something like Snapchat or Instagram, who has access to, you know, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers, uh, you can you can activate them in that one post. Or if you have six months of post or a year of post, or if you end up becoming a partner with them, but you're sort of using them in the same way one would use an advertisement. And one of my arguments to clients in uh, days gone by is that um, advertising is ephemeral. And by ephemeral, ephemeral means trans, transitory, transient, uh, impermanent. It means that, you know, as long as you spend those advertising dollars, the advertising will continue. But the moment you stop with the advertising dollars, you'll lose all of the, all of the equity that you put into that influencer or, uh, the, um, or the advertisements, which uh, it'll just go away. Is a good, uh, it, which basically explains our sub practices of, of influencer marketing, which is earned influencer marketing and paid influencer marketing. Which earned influencer marketing, we're we're not giving them anything other than the information or or this gift that we'd like them to try out or review um, or unbox or whatever. And paid influencer marketing, which has become a lot more popular than it used to be, which it, from everyone from micro-influencers to A-list influencers want to be paid for, for you know, giving their seal of approval or even trying something. So, so for a client, there becomes two budgets or, or the budget for us as the, as the agency becomes slightly higher if it's uh, paid influencer marketing because we have to budget our time and and our all the effort that we're doing in the reaching out um and then the secondary budget which would be the budget for that particular influencer whether they want 10 influencers or or a thousand influencers we have to think about you know how much we can put aside for each one and 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 the reach of that particular influencer whether it's whether they have a reach of 10,000 um you know potential eyeballs or or a million yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, let's say we reached out to a middle class of influencers who who wouldn't work for less than two hundred fifty dollars, you know, a um, a a, a, uh, a post for their time, right? Like uh, just just for the ability to work with them, just not for their review, but for their time. I think a lot of mommy bloggers have baseline two hundred fifty dollars. I'll write a I'll write a post or I'll do something for you. No guarantees as to what I'll say, but I will receive the product. I will look at it. I will experience it for a couple of weeks, and I will write a review. Um, you time that times you know a hundred, and you have twenty five hundred, uh, or is twenty five thousand? 
What's my math? <laughs> so 100 times 250 is, is 25,000, right? Yeah. So if you, if you, you know, make that by 1,000, then that's 250,000. But I think that, you know, it's affordable in an ad campaign these days if you're going to reach out to 100 influencers at $250 a pop $25,000 is an appropriate is an appropriate fee um, and as an additional budget to a campaign in order to get in order to cut in line I mean it it, it needs to be a million dollar campaign or a $250,000 campaign if you want to reach out to to a really long tail um, and or you can reach out to 10 people who are highly influential for you know 2500 uh, dollars uh, for you know twenty five thousand dollars is my is my is my math working? No, yeah. Do you have yeah, a calculator? Yeah. Okay. I'm, a, I'm an English major, man. I might have been a programmer, but I'm an English major. Um, so that needs to be an above and beyond the services that we that we render uh, that we do, unless of course you know it's going to be twenty percent of all those fees. I guess that could be. You know, we, we raise the fee uh, by 25% or 20% so that each influencer uh, receives, you know, 80% of what the client is, has, uh, has, has, um, has put aside. I mean, there's all different types of things. There's, there's, there's affiliate marketing plans that have been kind of wrapped in this whole space where a influencer uh, takes a risk and uh, starts to mention and include links to a product with the understanding that any time uh, anybody uses that code or follows a particular coded link, uh, they will get um, uh, a certain amount of money that is uh, um, um, success-based marketing. There's a lot of different versions of this, but at the end of the day, I think it's really important when Dan you know, and I make the mistake about calling them bloggers, I think it's very important for us to realize that essentially, um, as I was saying, the, the uh, advertising is very, is very ephemeral. But, but what we do with regards to getting people to write blog posts and to create content on, on YouTube and to create more permanent, searchable, findable content uh, makes me believe that you know even now, uh, three months on after after my writing about TV12's uh, plant-based um, uh, protein supplement, I'm still getting you know I'm still getting uh, 50, 50 viewers a day at my blog, and my blog is nothing. It's chrisabraham.com. It's nothing big. So I mean, the value of making sure that when you launch a product. Not only having the big bang of an influencer pop your name onto Instagram, which disappear well, Instagram doesn't disappear, but a lot of our influencers would do stories which would disappear. Um, there's a permanence to to uh, being in someone's blog. There's a permanence to being on someone's YouTube with uh, you know links and screen clicks. And all those other kinds of things that allow people to find the product into the future when they're doing their due diligence. I'm um, I'm I'm a hunter when it comes to finding products that I want. I will spend uh, weeks on YouTube or searching to find 
whether you know Garmin, Sunto, or or uh, Apple Watch or Fitbit uh, is the best is the best choice for me. Um, and then you know I go through YouTube, I check them out. A lot of those influencers probably have been compensated or have received a test product. Uh, and then I go to the internet and I, I check reviews on Amazon, and a lot of those are bought and paid for by bots and by uh, astroturfers, but I kind of get a feel for what people are saying. And then I search on Google and maybe Bing and look to see what pops up at the top or on the second page that's below the part that says ads. I don't know how you search for things, um, Dan, no. but, but, but I'm always running into influencers all the time. Completely, yeah, no, I, I, I use Google, Amazon, and you always know or you, I think you and I are pretty savvy with knowing which seem to be paid for and which are legit. You know, I always look at the negative. At least, you, at least you hope you are, right? I think once artificial intelligence and sentient, sentient, uh, um, yeah. quantum computers start uh, start acting up, I don't know. Like, I think I think I might take a job having my brain scanned and uh, go into the go into the cloud because rent is a lot cheaper. <laughs> Actually, it's not. I look at how much money people spend for AWS cloud hosting service, and maybe it's more expensive to have a sentient being uh, maintained in the cloud in a, uh, a quantum computer cluster. Right now it is, but it might <laughs> not be. Well, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this. Like uh, One of the things we never talk about with regards to influencer marketing is it's not like my friend Pam Teagarden used to think. It's not like um, right, you know, drawing up a scroll and creating a golem out of clay. And it's certainly not like having a, 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 a horde of zombies under our control. Like each person needs to be handled like, like, a, like a client, like an agency client, like, a, like, a, like an actor or actress or like someone who's a writer for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. You have to treat each person. You have to negotiate their egos, their fears, their their desires, their 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 insecurities. Um, we do all that in the inbox. Dan and I, before we put on our armor, uh, remember our previous intern and our former uh, employee, Nina uh, Martin, who um, has done an amazing job of being uh, our our patron saint. I mean, we still work with her, but she's the person who uh, who influenced us to be kind for everyone we meet is fighting a hard battle, and uh, and to and to you know and to do hugs not horns. Every time we go in, we pray to the to the to the um, spirit of Nina Martin and try to be as gentle and forgiving. Try not to rise to any bait of people saying you know uh, you know go to hell or anything terrible like that. And I think that we win a lot of our battles in the charm offensive that we have by treating everyone uh, fairly and with love. I mean, you're, you're especially good at it, Dan. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's it. You, you, you can turn people around. I think it started. I remember when we, an, an early client, uh, fresh air fund, um, way back in the day, this is, uh, nine years ago, maybe 2010 or so, um, where, it was one of the first times, um, you know, you get that sort of, yeah, I'm not interested. Um, this was blogger outreach at the time. So we were reaching out to particular blogs and, and this was 
completely informational. So it was for uh, Fresh, Fresh Air Fund is a um, nonprofit organization out of New York City that places uh, inner city children into the homes of um, people that live in the suburbs and in the country to give them a t for, for the summer, for a couple of weeks, just to give them a taste of, of life outside the city. And uh, we reached out to lots of different demographics of bloggers because uh, pretty much anyone could fit that demographic. It didn't matter what they blogged about, uh, you know, in particular. And and so um, I, I forget exactly what the blogger's demographic was, but his his initial response was, yeah, I'm not interested. That doesn't fit my blog. And I responded with, um, you know, a response that said, you know, gave him a reason why it would his blog would be a good uh, venue for that. Um, and, and, and I just remember Chris complimenting and saying, yeah, you know, that was great turnaround, you know? So it was, it was really, uh, it was a good, a good example of, um, you know, using our inner Nina Martin. Yeah. It's not hard. It's not hard to, to soften a heart, you know, when it comes to, I mean, we had them for several years and we did, uh, fundraising campaigns, we did informational stuff, and we did uh, call to arms such as, you know, hey, we're looking for kids, um, city kids, we're looking for city kids. I mean, this is one of the first ones that you and I really did a geo-targeting uh, where, we, where we really tried to find any, like, we, we forgot about verticals, and we realized that if we found, or I came out with this massive New York City super list because we didn't care what each particular blogger blogged about. We only cared about the fact that they were in um, that they were you know in in uh, Philadelphia, that they were in Cherry Hill, that they were in Massachusetts, that they were in uh, Connecticut, that they were in Long Island. They had a platform. Just the fact that they had a platform that we could tap, uh, no matter how many influencers. They, how many people read their blog, whether it was 10 or 1,000, this was a platform that we could get the word out about. And we didn't have to pay them. We didn't have to give them anything other than information that this particular organization existed. We just gave them the, the tools to, uh, to post, and they did. And, and they did uh, in every demographic and all over the country. And I think it was a big help for, uh, for that particular organization. But like I was saying, I mean, this is the first time we did geotargeting, where we right. where we focused on the the metro area, uh, the the places where kids had historically been placed, and where kids had historically been uh, been you know been um, prospected from. I believe like it started out with New York City, but I think like you know um, challenging communities in Philly and maybe even in Baltimore. And um, and uh, other boroughs of Manhattan, um, uh, Newark, uh, um, Trenton. I think the kids were taken from all those places. And you know, the original story of the Fresh Air Fund is it started at a time really before air conditioning was a thing. And um, what's that awful thing? Uh, malaria. There was problems with malaria in Manhattan in like the turn of the century, last century, like you know, eighteen. 1880s to 1920s and so the rich people used to leave the city all summer long and go to their their summer house in New England and uh, and I think that 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 some very rich people said well why shouldn't children have the same opportunity as our children to go to camp in the summer and why shouldn't they have the opportunity to get out of the city and of course 
there's an opportunity that if you if you see it, you want it, or if you experience it, you pursue it. And to have people get out of out of um, out of their small little little uh, apartments and see what a a home in the country looks like and see how other families live uh, was invaluable. And these are the kinds of real details. The reason why I bring it up, I'm not promoting Fresh Air Fund, although they're magical. The reason why I bring it up is because we were able to go into that detail with every blogger we created. We still create, and it's now it's called a landing page, Dan, but uh, it's called a, um, or you had a different word for it. Is it a landing page? Is it an informational page? We used to call it a social media news release, um, SMNR, but it would always be everything, all the details, no matter how minute, with the focus on the real simple stuff at the top, and then all the uh, all the um, all the detail work uh, below it. So I don't know if there's that much more to say. I, I, I um, anything else to add, Dan, about influencer marketing or the kind no, of services just, that we just do? The fact that you know we can reach and target any demographic for any particular um, client, and we uh, that's what we've been specializing in for uh, for many years, twenty plus years combined, and. Uh, yeah, so we'll we'll have a different topic for next week, and uh, I think this was good, Chris. All right, thanks, brother. Um, you can find us at gerr.is or uh, www.gerriscorp.com. You can pronounce it Jerris Corp or Garris Corp. We answer to both. I'm Chris Abraham. And I'm My, Dan Kruger. Uh, you can reach me at chris at garriscorp.com. You can reach him at dan at garriscorp.com. If you want to reach out to both of us, it's at info at garriscorp.com. And you can always text me directly if you have any questions at plus one, two oh two, three five two, five zero five one. Or if you're not international, it's just two oh two three five two five zero five one. Um, and, uh, we look forward to next week. Um, you can find this podcast at garris.com slash podcast. And we look forward to reaching out to you next week, Wednesday with an entirely different subject that I'm going to let Dan choose. <laughs> All right. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.